Hello and welcome to Primary Sources, a spin-off podcast from the Doctor Who show where we take what people were saying about Doctor Who in the 80s and the 90s and we riff on it. The conversation might stick closely to the primary source in the letter or it might go off on its own tangent. Who knows? For this episode, I'm joined by Mark John from the Diddly Dumb podcast. Hello, Mark. Hello, Rob. How are you going today? Yeah, good, thanks. And I have to say it's, it's bally good to actually chat with you uh, mouth to ear so to speak uh, rather than uh, <laughs> sounds a bit pervy <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> well, it's late here so um it's it's odd that this is the first time i've ever actually spoken to you because I, we've chatted for a long time over social media and obviously i've listened to you so it, it seems strange that this is actually the first time we've uh, had a proper conversation fabulous shall we get into it yes let's all right This first letter is called And the Charade, and it runs. Doctor Who has always been an imaginative, eerie, gripping, original, action-packed, and polished program, and the only one of its kind in the world. I always found it annoying in the mid-70s that even with stories like The Deadly Assassin, this was regarded as children's program, which it certainly wasn't. I was pleased that these shows got high ratings. With the arrival of Colin Baker, the show was collapsing. Every show was awful, some worse than others, but Revelation of the Daleks left me feeling as though I had just seen a murder. <laughs> then mm, then came the build-up to Trial of a Time Lord, the biggest load of twaddle I have ever seen. I found it criminal for the show to be called Doctor Who. Then came last season. For the first time ever, I found myself switching off. I couldn't bear it. What annoys me most about the series now is the fans and your magazine covering up for this rubbish. For me, who is dying a slow, drawn-out death? The show should get a more intelligent, appealing companion, a more intellectual, moody, alien, muscular doctor. It It should cut out the overt humor and replace the ridiculous new music with the classic, eerie, mysterious theme and title sequence. Put the show out later, bring back Dudley Simpson's music, and get a new producer. If improving the show is too sensible an idea for the BBC to accept, then just end the show. As a fan of Central's Crossroads said in a recent interview, it's for the best that it's ending. Imagine you had a friend who became very ill. You'd prefer to see him put out of his misery, wouldn't you? And that is from Ashley Fulmer, age 36, Swindon, Wilshire. And I was very remiss to say that this Doctor Who magazine I'm reading from is from July of 1988. Mark, over to you. Uh, well, I think in 88, I would probably have agreed with him. Really? To be honest. Yeah, because I, I stopped... I mean, he's 36 at the time, though, so he's like about 20 <laughs> years older than I was. Uh, so I'm surprised he's, he's kept going so long, but... Um, yeah, I think when I got to Colin Baker's era, that was when I really started falling out of my first flush of fandom with the show, if you like. Mm-hmm. It was Colin Baker's outfit Yeah, put me off. The Companions put me off. It, indeed, later on, the new music put me off. I, I, I can bear it. Um, I mean, I have to say, recently I've revisited the McCoy era. I, I guess the, the last season that he refers to in that letter is the first season of... Uh, Sylvester McCoy, isn't it? Yes, it is. So, yeah, so that would be a, a series that I've watched all the way through recently. And I have to say, 
I actually enjoyed it a lot more now than mm. I did when I was 16. But that's because I was being a terribly serious teenager. Do you think that's part of it? Because I found I sort of fell out with Doctor Who the first time when I was like 15-ish. So not a dissimilar age. Yeah, you, yes, because you do start feeling like maybe this is a little bit too childish to me. You just get other interests. They kind of take over. And, and I, I, I think definitely with the non-fan public, they definitely drop off before the age of 16, I would say. Or they used to back in the 80s well even now in in the in the era of new who as it gets called you know people who started off as kids that was 16 years ago yeah you know uh, and and they're now in their like early 20s so they're i think i think unless they became really mega fans i think they're gone for sure yeah i, I think so as well if you look at the ratings that that's probably um i mean i know the tv ratings are such a difficult thing to uh quantify now in the world we live in but yeah i wonder if a lot of the people who were so against the jody doctor were like four or five when the new series started mm-hmm. and they've just got to an age where actually they've done that thing getting through the first flush of fandom maybe they're blaming their falling out of love with the show on chris chibnall and jody whittaker when it actually it's just a normal like fanish rite of passage it yeah it seems to me yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a bigger topic because certainly the writing under Chibnall has changed. Mm. At this, you know, and you think, well, if someone was five or six years old, they would see this exposition-heavy stuff, and they'd probably be quite okay with it. But by the time you're, I don't know, sixteen or seventeen or twenty, you can you can see through television, and you can sort of see, oh, this is a very exposition-heavy scene. You you know all these terms, and you know all the techniques by then. But th- but this guy's uh, thirty six, so he, he has been sixteen in what nineteen sixty eight. So why wasn't he getting angry when John Pertwee took over? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, how come he managed to make it through? Um, you know, um, the mutants and, um, and yeah, like. yeah, the mutants especially. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's that's the thing I think that sticks with me in that letter is, is how old the guys that's writing in. I mean, obviously we're used to that now. I mean, look at us, we're uh, we're. Uh, well, I'm certainly way past 36, and I'm still enjoying the show. But uh, same here. Mm. Yeah, and uh, shut up. <laughs> uh, look, before we get to the next thing, I just want to tease out because we both had a giggle at this. He wants a more intellectual, moody alien and muscular doctor. <laughs> now, yeah. is this in a, is this in a very general sense, like just a more uh, punchy kind of doctor, or does he actually want a muscle man as a doctor? I'm not sure what Ashley's <laughs> I, after here. I don't know. Who would that have been in '88? I mean, uh, I'm trying to think of any muscular British actors. I don't know. He David Prowse, Crossroads fan. Which yes. Is like, uh, yeah, David Prowse. <laughs> yeah, I think he'd be your only option there. I think. Yeah, with with, with his nice uh, West Country accent. <laughs> Brilliant. Shall we move on to the next letter? Yes, okay, let's. This is called Book Buying Horror. It runs. I entirely agree with Jason Butler in Dwim issue 134, who said, Ah, to all those mindless imbeciles who persist in thinking that Doctor Who is a children's program. But the problem goes far deeper than Mr. Butler realises. If you are a Trekkie, you may walk into almost any bookstore and, with your head held high, browse among the adult science fiction shelf picking up the latest Star Trek novels. If, however, you're a Whovian, like me, you've got problems. Here is a step-by-step guide to shopping and buying Doctor Who literature. 
One, walk into any good bookshop. Two, walk past the Star Trek and Blake 7 books on the adult shelf. Three, walk past the teenage books for older children section. Four, close your eyes and take a deep breath. Five, dash as quickly as you can into the infants department, probably identified by colourful alphabet cutouts on the wall. Six, (laughs) with the minimum of fuss, cast your eye over the Enid Blyton rack, grab and buy the Doctor Who novel you want, and then get out of the shop before anyone you know sees you. Seven, if you also want to track down one of Peter Haining's hardback volumes, then your humiliation is not yet over. You will probably find them, as I did, on a little shelf marked Pop-Up Colouring Books, along with (laughs) Mr. Men and My Little Pony publications. Eight, Cry out in anguish. There must be something we can do, some petition we can sign. If anyone anywhere has strong opinions about the subject I have raised, please write to me. I'm sure we can mobilise our combined forces and stop the intelligence of thousands of British Who fans being mocked and ridiculed in the ways I have described. That's from James Griffiths, and he gives his address. The Orchard, Abbots Lane, Pennyford, uh, near Chester. I can't even pronounce this name. It's in Welsh. Uh, and and <laughs> the postcode. <laughs> yes. So he actually wanted people to write to him and start a petition about oh, target no. books being for children. <laughs> Isn't that always the strange... What, that's one of the strangest things about going back through these uh, DW. And so regardless of the content of the letter there, it's the addition of an address, a full name and address. Yes. <laughs> it was such a different world back then. Well, people hide behind handles on social media now. Could you imagine putting your whole address on social media? <laughs> <I know. laughs> and it's, it's out there for everyone to know. And it's um, like I, I remember I used to buy Smash Hits magazine as well, and there used to be a pen pals page there. Yeah. And, and people, all the pen pals would put their what their likes, their dislikes were, how old they were. You know, say I'm 13 year old. I'm looking. I'm 13 year old girl. I'm looking for a boyfriend who's also into King and Madness, and um, uh, and and then um, and then they they put their entire like address on there, including the postcode and country. That's just it's such innocent times, wasn't it? Oh, different, oh, different times for sure. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, it, it felt like innocent times. I mean, we've we've learned differently now. But uh, <laughs> now, Mark, yeah. we were talking in the last letter about falling out of love with the show as a mid-teen. Yeah. Were you buying the books up until that point? And then did you stop buying them? Did you come back to them? No, I was. Um, I found a lot of my books secondhand at um, school fairs and things, like my Target novelizations. The issue I did have actually wasn't shops, it was libraries, because I had the same problem, but with libraries. So I used to go into my local one in, in uh, it would have been in Wiltshire at the time, and I, I'd head over to the Doctor Who rack of Target novels. And yeah, that, that was in the children's section, which was a place I shouldn't really, I didn't feel I should have been in at, at that age. And yes. <laughs> I mean, I used to go in there to get, get my hands, I've often said, I often talk about. I used to go in there to buy my uh, uh, teach yourself kung fu books. Uh, to borrow my teach yourself kung fu books and and my two Ronnie's scripts and things. Uh, but I always used to have to take a detour into the uh, children's section to get the target novels. Yeah, ha- ha- happy memories. But um, it, it never really bothered me. Uh, <laughs> just... it, well, it really bothers this chap. Uh... Yeah, <laughs> but I know what he's talking about though because. 
Star Trek, for some reason, did always seem to get put, and Star Wars, actually, with the more adult sort of sci-fi. Exactly as he says, yeah. Doctor Who, especially at that time, had definitely had a stigma of being a children's programme. Uh, I think that's changed in, in the, with the new series, to a degree. Yeah, I well, it's certainly it's, more family-friendly. Yeah, huh? and, and I think there's an appreciation that uh, that there's a lot of the classic fans have got older and are, are still watching the series these days, which, like I say, wasn't really a, a thing that was understood back then. I mean, like, like I say, you know, I was shocked to, to find that guy was 36 in the last letter, so... <laughs> Well, certainly when I think of these new Target books coming out, these new paperbacks with the lovely covers, mm. I mean, who who's going to be buying Resurrection of the Daleks? You know, I, I don't think it's many nine-year-olds, <laughs> to be honest. Is, uh, yeah, is, are Eric Sayward books good for uh, nine-year-olds? I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, because that's the whole thing, isn't it? Uh, Doctor Who was going in a different direction then as well, trying to be much grittier and more more adult mm. on the TV but the main viewership probably was still kids and yeah. I mean it's a different world now you, can, you walk into a bookshop and almost every section in there apart from probably Esoterica and World Wars has uh, Doctor Who books in it you know it's, <laughs> it's scattered all over the place isn't it in there which is really nice as well yeah I don't know there's still a hell of a lot of stuff being published isn't there there is, there is. There aren't monthly um, fiction novels so much, mm. but more non-fiction-y type things and bigger novels yeah. when they do a novel, you know. I, I, I think, think the, uh, the, actually, I, I do think that most of the fiction these days is probably for sort of junior readers, isn't it? Yeah, the NSAs were certainly a dumbed-down version of the BBC books, which were in turn maybe a dumbed-down version of the New Adventures which in themselves were probably pitched at people in their mid-teens. Yeah, yeah, they've got more of a sort of, uh, yeah, junior to young adult kind of audience these days, haven't they, those books? Or at least that, that's, like you say, that's where they're pitched. Yeah. I mean, I have read a few of those, though. There, there's, still, <laughs> there's still some good reads amongst them. Yeah. Shall we get on to the final letter? Hmm. Okay, this one is called Left Its Mark. I have been reading your mag for some time now and I cannot understand what the majority of fans are complaining about regarding John Nathan Turner. All this sack John Nathan Turner business is ridiculous. He has produced some of the best and most original stories I have ever had the pleasure of seeing, and while I agree that the last season did have its bad moments, and plenty of them I'm afraid, it was certainly original, and was it not a lack of this originality which fans complained of regarding the first Colin Baker season? I, for one, am looking forward to the 25th season and intend to celebrate and rejoice. Sylvester is a great doctor and a fitting replacement for Colin Baker, who I shall always remember with great affection and admiration. He gave an excellent performance in the only show I feel sure has left its mark on me forever. That's from Justin Webb, East Low, Cornwall. So, Sylvester and Colin there. Yeah, this is the opposite of the first letter, isn't it? This Pretty much. The, um, kind of why I uh, picked it, actually. <laughs> yeah. See, and I, I, I kind of say the opposite with, with the first letter as well, in, in that I probably agree more with this letter now than I would have done at the age of, sort of <laughs> 16, 17. Because, I, I, see, as I said, I rewatched the uh, all of the Sylvester McCoy era recently. 
and it is pretty original, really. I mean, mm. especially, I mean, Delton the Bannerman is you know, absolutely unique. <laughs> I mean, some people would <laughs> that's say one that's word. in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, on my rewatch through, I, I found it really refreshing. I really enjoyed it. It was the most I've got engaged with series of Doctor Who for quite a while. Oh, look, oh, look, talking about Delta and the Bannerman, that bus and where it takes off from at the mm. start, it's, it's launching pad, whatever you might want to call it. I guess it was just some car park somewhere and they've got a bus. <laughs> yeah. But it, it feels, when you're watching it, it feels like, oh, yeah, they're in some intergalactic place where this, you know, space bus is going to take off from. And it feels, of course, it's a, a location and it's a real yeah. bus. It feels so much bigger and better than, you know, a lot of studio-based stuff that had gone before, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Even the presence of Ken Dodd in his spangly outfit (laughs) doesn't really detract from that. It it just, um, yeah, it feels otherworldly and peculiar. And those images are great as well, of the bus disappearing off through space and the TARDIS along with it. And it's just, yeah... It did need to freshen up, Doctor Who did. It, it, it sort of reached... I, I can't agree with, with his, his liking, of, with his appreciation of Colin Baker so much, I'm afraid. And I, I mm. do apologise if that upsets any Colin Baker fans, but uh, it just did... I think Doctor Who did start feeling a bit worn out then. And I think, I think it's unfortunately, it's that transitional phase between the old and, and the new. You Colin, almost... I was going to say, you almost see that transition happen across season 24. You have the old mm. represented by Pip and Jane's script that Andrew yes. Cartmel really had nothing to do with, yeah. and that starts the season. Then you're in some studio-bound thing that's interesting but doesn't quite mm. work. Then you're in Delta, which is getting weird and imaginative, and, and you're on location. And then in the final story, yes, you're back to a studio, but you're also introducing this new character of Ace, who mm. side by side with Mel, you can almost go, oh, that's an old companion, and this is a new companion. They are so chalk and cheese. Yeah, although um, my problem with um, Ace always is that at the time when I was the kind of age that Ace was supposed to be, I, I always found her incredibly naff, as, <laughs> as Ace would have said. So, because she, it, it's one of those things where I think a teenage girl is being written by middle-aged men and they're saying, uh, what sort of lingo do these young folks speak in now? <laughs> it's like, oh, yes, they say ace and wicked and yeah. naff and mega. <laughs> it's like, it didn't feel real to me at the time. It's interesting because when, you, when I look back on ace, I, I enjoy a character a lot more, but I, I haven't forgotten how it felt at the time to be that age and just look at it in look aghast at it in horror it, it's like um it's like the show creators have suddenly turned up in pairs of um baggy jeans uh with uh, dealer <laughs> boppers on their heads down at my local disco and started saying hey these tunes are wicked <laughs> and it's just like no that's just <sighs> do you think kids of today who are, are switching off the program in the chibnall era in 30 years' time, we'll come back and watch, I don't know, It Takes You Away or something like that, and go, oh, this was actually quite good. <laughs> yeah, possibly, because I think some of the things that, that jars with some of the... Well, certainly jars with me, again, watching it, is some of the... Um, <laughs> what I'd refer to as sort of like the youth lingo. <laughs> mm. um, like, the, uh, the fam, and 
stuff like that and it's sometimes it's a little bit too on the nose of the time yeah it's i think it's precisely today's version of wicked or ace yeah exactly that and and i i think yeah it's just feels slightly off to me but then i'm, I'm not using that language am i i suppose but um <laughs> honest <laughs> well mark that was our trip down memory lane with uh did i say the issue number it was issue 138 from july of 1988 did you enjoy that Oh, I, I totally enjoyed that. That was brilliant. Thank you. What a what a ride. <laughs> There's always so much to dig into in these letters. I, I, I love pulling them out. Yes, thank you for inviting me. That was extremely enjoyable. Brilliant. Look, thank you so much for coming on, uh, Mark. It's It's been a delight to sit here and go through these letters with you as well. So thank you. Thank you, Rob. My pleasure. 